Good morning, everybody. No, I did not spell straight incorrectly, my wife. We will get into that. Are you saying that your husband doesn't know how to spell? I'm a writer. God bless it. Anyway, God bless. Thank you all for being here this morning. You are watching the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm your Beecher, Beecher, Beecher Preacher. We are coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. I'm Marty Leeds, your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. We do this, we do this jive every uh, Sunday. Sunday at 9 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. That's when we do it. So thank you all for being here. Today we're going to talk about, um, this is going to be a good one. This is uh, the 58th episode of the Sunday Services. And this is Matthew chapter 7. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And yes, that is spelled correctly as it's shown in the Bible. And we will actually talk about that today. Why is straight spelled like that? Might have to do with some encryption, but we'll get into that. So um, thank you all for being here today. Oop, wrong one. Let's do a prayer first, okay? Dear Lord, I come before you and ask for your strength within me, a strength not of the world, but of your kingdom, to refrain from judgment and feast on love, to push out greed and hold tight to joy, to dispel pride and rise with humility, to quell anger and rest in self-control, to shun greed and rest in giving, to turn from power and embrace service, to let go of resentment and rest in peace, to push through fear and walk forwards in grace, to run with faith, soar with forgiveness, and allow your eternal strength to abide with me. Amen. Okay, let's launch into it right away. That's right, we're going to do, this is um, Matthew chapter 7, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, which is what we call this. This is another Sermon on the Mount, and of course this is a lot of red letter, excuse me, stuff. Pardon me, Wills. Pardon me, pardon me. There's a lot of red letter stuff, uh, as we'll see. Matthew, oh, my Willie's got a burrow. He's cold. It's a cold morning. So once again, a lot of, uh, this is, I'm sorry. I should have had this together. There's chapter 7. As you can see, lots of red letters. So what we're going to be doing is hearing from the mouth of, mouth of Christ this morning. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 7, numero uno. One, judge not, comma, that ye be not judged. Wait, what? Wait, what? Judge not, comma, that ye be not judged. All right, so God's telling us that we're not supposed oh, to... sorry. That's my bread. Je Jennifer's making wonderful bread this morning, so don't worry. Um, um, judge not, that ye be not judged. Wait a second. We're, we're, so we're not supposed to make judgment calls on people? What if you walk down the street and you're like, whoa, that guy's a little skeezy? Or if you're about to take a job and the, you know, your boss is like, the guy that you might be working for is a total jack wagon... You're making judgment calls all the time about people you need to associate with, paths in life you need to take, you know, people people who you want to surround yourselves with in, even like communities and stuff like that. You have to make a judgment call on who you listen to and who you put your attention into. So the first line is don't make those judgment calls. Obviously, obviously that's not what the Bible is saying here, okay? What judgment are they talking about? They're talking about eternal judgment. This is what they mean. It's the recognition that there is only one God, that there's, and that God is the judge of all things. We are down here to go through our course, our spiritual course, right, our, our hero's journey, if you will, and along the way, we're going to screw up. We're going to, you know, go this way, that way, we're going to make mistakes and stuff like that. The point is, is at the end of the day, after this life is all over, the only person that judges is God and God alone. In other words, says, it sounds like your mic is not picking up the, the nice mic isn't picking up the <coughs> Does that sound better? Does that sound better? 
please give me a yes or no. No, I got it. I turned the mic around. I had my mic on backwards, so it should be better now. Okay, so thank you, Chance at Interverse. By the way, congratulations to Chase Brew the Pious and Jen Brew the Pious, as they are going to be getting married pretty soon here, right? In, in another week or something like that? What's that? 314. What does that mean? Anything? Anyway. Okay, let's get back to it. Hopefully that sounds better now. Okay, so God is the eternal judge. That's the whole point is that God is the one that will be making judgment calls on the things that you did in this life. Now, there's no, now this is a really funny one. It's like, uh, only God can judge me. And then there's it's this meme and then God's looking down and is like, well, you're, you're a whore. <laughs> so what do we mean by judge not least, lest he be not judged? This is recognizing eternal judgment. In other words, you don't get to come along and be like, you're going to hell or you're going to be saved because you did the thing that I did. We went down to the church together and we, you know, got baptized. And so therefore you're going to be saved. This is making judgment calls about people's, you know, pathway into eternality and immortality. You don't get to do that. This is what it's saying. God ultimately is the one that will either accept you or say, eh, you're probably going to have to go back down there and, and you know get some things done. That's what it means. It isn't to say that you don't have you don't make judgment calls in your life. You have to make judgment calls all the time. But we also have to understand that when we if you know we when we talk about judgment, we also have to you know have some empathy and, and actually walk in somebody else's shoes. Put yourself in that person's. Literally put yourself in this sort of sense. Put yourself in their body. Is the is the audio better? Hopefully. Give me a thumbs up if the audio is better. Sounds like it is. Okay. So, for instance, we come across douchebags all the time in life. We all we all do, right? Some people think that I am that. So there's that. But anyway, so you know, you come across a du like douchebags all your life. We're like, oh my god, this guy. In fact, I used to work with a guy, and the guy drove me nuts. He was an absolute jackass. He was, I mean the most condescending prick you ever freaking met, lazy as hell, he was a liar, he literally, he literally went to the church of Satan, he was a, these Antifa, lefty, you know, just an absolute, to the T, you know, it's like, if you looked up in the di dictionary douchebag, it would be this guy, and I had to work with him, and I was his boss, right, anyway, what we have to do, though, is recognize, it's like, make judgment calls about, well, I don't really want to hang out with this guy after work, uh, you know, this guy's that sort of thing. But we also have to have empathy and recognize, well, wait a second, what was this guy's past? What was his childhood trauma? What did he undergo? How many mistakes did he make in his life, and where did those mistakes come from? It isn't to say that we're not, that people aren't responsible for what they do, they absolutely are, but everybody has a past, Right. What was his country? What was his religion? Did he grow up without a father? Maybe his father beat him. Maybe his mother was a whore. Maybe he got addicted to drugs and addictions or he got into the wrong crowd when he was younger. And then this is what formed the douchebag. Well, guess what? You know, that could have been you. Probably was you at one point for some of us. Okay, so now if the, the whole point is, you know, this, when we talk about judge, not let's be not judge, it's not making eternal judgments. It's this whole thing, as we're going to see, is walk in another man's shoes, but literally put yourself in that, that person's shoes and feel their pain. Think, think about the life they, li they lived. Put yourself in that position as if you lived that life and then look at them and then say, well, maybe there's a reason for this. There's this old quote, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's be nice to everyone because we're all going through some sort of battle. It's that kind of thing. Now, it's a difficult thing. This isn't easy, and I'm not saying I do it well either. I screw up on this all the freaking time, but 
the uh, the important thing about this is we've all been victims of spells, lies, propaganda, wizardry. We're victims of that right now. Now we don't. That doesn't mean we live in victimhood, right? It's just like it's just like the saying, like, oh well, the snake tricked me, and then I ate the apple, and then I fell. I'm a victim. No, no, no. The the serpent came and and you know uh, you know uh, tempted you and that sort of thing. But ultimately, you made the choice, right? So. We're victims of stuff all the time. That doesn't mean we get to live in victimhood. We must recognize that we have been victims of things and choose not to live in victimhood. When we do that, we triumph, okay? And I want you to think about this. Think about if you're George Clooney, right? This is not actually George Clooney, but just spiritually, <laughs> he's devoid. That's what George Clooney is. But think about this. Like when you were 20, think about if you were George Clooney now at 59 years old, meaning that this is like not actual George Clooney. Like this is your spiritual, this is an analogy for your spiritual life, right? At 59 years old, now you're like, you're looking back and it's like, God, I've gone through a lot of things. I've experienced a lot of things, a lot of vicissitudes, high tides, low tides, ebbs and flows, things like that. Screwed up a lot. Learned my lesson, learned a lot of things then. And now I'm a little bit more spiritually advanced. I've got my shit together, if you will. You know, I, I have a spiritual, I have a dedicated spiritual life. I'm more knowledgeable. I'm not an idiot anymore. I'm not this guy anymore. I used to be this guy, but now I figured my stuff out and now I'm now I'm the spiritual George Clooney. Now, if the spiritual George Clooney at 59 years old looked at the idiot George Clooney himself at 23 years old and then started judging him, being like, oh, you idiot, you don't know this and you got this and you're with the wrong woman and you're ch chasing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you got too many drugs in the end, blah, 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 blah. If you start judging him, what are you doing? You're actually judging yourself. Maybe this guy, who's a douchebag right now, maybe in 20 years he'll be Paul. He'll recognize, oh Jesus, man, I was an idiot and now I got to do 180. Maybe this guy in 20 years will be a saint. Saint Douchebag is what his name. He drove out all the douches in Ireland. So this is this is what we mean. If you go and if you go and judge another person and their spiritual quest, just think about if you were to judge your own self 20 years ago. If I were to do that, I'd be like, oh, what an idiot, dude. You're a loser, man. You ain't got your shit together. You know nothing. Look at you. You, you know, you're listening to terrible music and with the wrong woman and you're doing too much drugs. You're lost, son, that kind of thing. Well, what, what's Marty Leeds in 20 years? This is the thing. Put yourself in another person's shoes. And we're going to see that this is what Matthew 7 is really all about. Um... Judge not that ye be not judged. Let's look at this here. This is uh, also, I want to point out this. This is some math. This is, let's just say this. This is um, Matthew chapter 5, I believe. This is what he said. Jesus said just before this. And it, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him in twain. Twain means to walk in another person's shoes. Put yourself in that person's position and be like, hey, how would I have done kind of thing. What we do is we realize that when we do this, when we put, when we're going to talk about the golden rule a little bit today. When we do this, what we're doing is recognizing that there's an eternal spark within this person here and there's an eternal spark within me. And that eternal spark within that person, that divine spark is equal. It's equal. It's equal in here and equal in there. And those are equal, up, you know, where in this sense, you are on the level with the person spiritually. That eternal spark is equal, period. What, you know, in this sense, what you do, how profane you are or how sacred you are in this life depends on your actions, of course. But when you get to the core, that spark comes from God Almighty and it all goes back to God. So you come down here, that eternal spark gets put in a body. You do your work here. 
And ultimately, you're, you're not supposed to look at another person and be like, ah, you're going to hell. You're not going to figure it out. You got your own thing to worry about. You got your own stuff to worry about. Each one of those sparks is equal under God's eyes. It's the point. Judge not, lest ye be not judged. Just going to throw some gematria at you real quick here. Judge not that ye be not judged equals 111. This is the first line in Matthew 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. This is 111. It's 111, okay? This is 111 as well. Omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. It's the three aspects of God. What are those three, what are those three ones? One, two, three, right? In this sense. What does it add to? One plus one plus one is what? Three. It's the three aspects of God. It's the triune nature of God. And this is exactly what those judge not, least you be not judged, the 111 references. How about this one? The truth will set you free. 111. Genesis 1.3. Check this out. This is the third verse. Genesis 1.3. And God said, let there be light, colon, then there's the affirmation where it says, and there was light. That's the rest of the Genesis 1-3. Up to the colon, and God said, let there be light, is 111. After the colon, there's the affirmation or the confirmation. And there was and, and there was light. All right? So this is the first line from God's mouth. And God said, let there be light. 111. So those three, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, God is everywhere, all-knowing, all-powerful is essentially what it means. Omni essentially means everywhere. Um, this is at the core of man. This is your judge not that ye be not judged. There's 111. And then there's the omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. That's 111. And that's representative of your three aspects of God, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. You can find that in the Bible, those three distinct uh, characteristics of God. The truth will set you free. And then we go to man. And those are all 111. What's man? M-A-N is what? 111. God made man in his own image. All of these threes, the 111 adding to three, is a representation of the Holy Trinity. And this is why you will see, um, once again, this leads us right to the triangle again and again and again. Triangles. Triangles everywhere. Okay. Judge not that ye be not judged. Matthew 7, 2. For what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. In other words, if you go and be like, you're going to burn in eternal hell, God's going to be like, well, you don't know Christ, you don't blah, 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 that sort of thing. Well, God's just going to turn that mirror right around on you. It, once again, it's not to say don't, you don't make judgment calls about people's, how they act and things that they do and stuff like that. It's to say that it's like, because you did this, now you're going to hell. Do you know how many Christians literally do this stuff all the time? And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. This is the definition of measure or meet, dispense or allot justice, a punishment or harsh treatment. In biblical use, it means to measure out, of course. So notice that they're talking about what it, what we'll see is the golden rule, and they're using measurement. What is our rule? This is where we keep coming back to the math, the foundation of math. Talk about a golden rule, golden mean, golden measure, that sort of thing. Then it's saying here, God's going to measure you. with Ultimately, with what? A golden rule. What does rule come from? Ruler, right? That sort of thing. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. This is the golden rule. 
This is known across the world. Now, most people can basically understand the ethics of reciprocity behind the golden rule. The golden rule is the principle of treating others as you'd want to be treated. Now, what happens is people will take this literally and look at every single word and then try to find some loopholes in this as if God is okay with your stupid loopholes. No, this isn't Jewish legal ease, people. This is God's law. Okay, it can be considered an ethic of reciprocity in some religions. Other religions treat it, um, although other religions do treat it differently. Ethics of reciprocity, we all know what ethics is, moral principles that govern a person's behavior, and then the practice of exchanging things with a mutual benefit is the reciprocity. Now, you know, this is what people will do. They'll find a loophole in this. Like a logical loophole in the positive form of golden rule is that would require a masochist to harm others. So I like to be harmed. I like to beat myself in the face. So according to the golden rule, I'm going to come and beat you on the face. This is the conclusion that some, I've heard some of these Christians come to, which is absolutely dog piles of poo-poo. I mean, no, that's not what it means. The golden rule is not about your desires. I desire this, so I'm going to force it on you. The, the fact that people have even come to that is so outrageous. Children can understand this. Bobby comes along to Jimmy, and Bobby smacks Jimmy on the face. And then mom comes over and is like, well, how would you like it if you did that, if he did that to you? Then the, the loophole will people will come and be like, well, I like to be kicked in the face. Isn't like that. You missed the entire point. The point is, is no, 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 no. I don't care about your desires. I don't care about that sort of thing. When you talk about ethics, morality, and reciprocity, put yourself in this person's shoes. No, 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 no. I like being beat up. This person doesn't though. So what you want to do is put yourself into that person and feel the pain that they don't want and feel that and then say, is that okay? Put your, literally take yourself out of yourself and put yourself and feel the pain that they don't want. With this person's done nothing wrong, hasn't harmed anybody, and you came along and you went smack, and you disoriented them and you hurt them and you bruised them, take that and feel that and say, was that okay? This is like, I've, I've heard modern Christians argue over this thing, like the golden rule, and Jesus is teaching it. And you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. Children can understand such a basic thing, but for some reason, us adults have lost it. The issue is that to treat others as you wish to be treated has at its core a shaky presumption that I wish to be treated the same way as you wish to be treated. That's desires. Take that out and say, hey, this person hasn't harmed anybody. This person isn't doing anything wrong. And you go and violate them. That's a violation of the golden rule. The point is, is to say, well, I like to be violated. I'm a masochist. I like fingers in my butt. Or whatever. No, 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 no. Take that away. Take that out and say, no. Now put yourself in that person's body and feel the pain that they don't want. Empathize with that. It's a really basic, basic thing. Treat others as you'd like to be treated. Um... You know, and the golden rule is not about your desires. I like this, so I'm going to force this on other people. Um, that's not what it's about at all. We, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip some of this. So I think we basically got that. Then it goes into this, and this is the parable of the mote and the beam. And why beholdest thou mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to the brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shall thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. What's being said here? 
Why beholdest thou mote that is in the brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thy own eye? You got a beam, they got a mote. Oh, how will I say to the brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold the beam that's in mine. Look at my beam. Thou hypocrite. First, cast out the beam that's in your eye, then you shall see clearly to cast out the mote that's in the brother's eye. What does this mean? Okay. Um, beam and mote. A beam is something that emits rays of light. Obviously, we, um, and a mote is a small particle as of dust visible in the ray of sunlight. So obviously we can see that Jesus is referencing sunlight and beams and motes and that sort of thing, right? Well, okay, there's a, there's a, you know, image of it, right? And a beam that there, the beam that's an eye actually looks like a, like a two by four or something like that. Like a, a beam, just like in a beam in your house kind of thing. So you can see he's pulling the moat out of his eye and he's got a beam. What does this mean? Obviously, it's a reference to the golden rule. So a beam, a beam is obviously the beam of light and a moat is a little bit of dust, right? Just a little hair, just tiny, tiny little bit of dust. Okay. Your beam, right? He's saying it's like, the beam is the view of yourself. Higher, brighter, better. Look at the beam that's in my eye. I'm going to go, you've got things wrong with you. I'm going to go and pick out this little mote of dust. I'm going to pick that out and take it. Now you're going to be, and you're not even beholding the fact, you're not looking at yourself being like, oh, look how much better you think you are than everybody else. Boom, beam in your eye, right? What, what Jesus is saying is, if you're not, you know, take the beam out of your eye, then you'll get to see even Stephen with the other person because you're not going to look at yourself as so much better than everybody else. No, you are spiritually equal with everybody. You release that beam that's in your own eye. Then you can go see the little moat. Say, oh, you got something there. Let me help you with that. Boom. Now what? Now there's not a beam in your eye that I'm so awesome and you're not concerned with, you know, like making yourself better. Now what are you doing? You're making yourself even Stephen with the person. That's exactly what's being said. Why beholdest the mote that's in thy brother's eye? You're concerned with all the things that your brother's doing, but you didn't consider the fact that you're looking at yourself as like, right? How will I say to the brother, let me pull out the mote and, and that's in your eye. I'm going to take care of your thing. But meanwhile, you're like, Jesus comes around and says, hypocrite, you are a hypocrite first. You cast the beam. You take that beam. You cast it out of your own eye. Don't sit there and look at yourself better than everybody else. Then you'll see clearly. You will see clearly. You'll see, oh, I've got the same divine spark. And that person has the same divine spark. Now you're going to be doing spiritual work because now you're going to be over and like, I'm going to help you. Not because I think I'm better than you, but because I know I'm equal with you. Then you're doing service. Then you're doing God's work. Notice he says, this is all about being on the level. <clears throat> this is to recognize your spiritual equality with another. And then when you do that, as Jesus said, you will see clearly. Jesus calls them, if you don't see clearly, if you think of yourself better than everybody else, what does he call them specifically? First line, thou hypocrite, you hypocrite. I'm the, I've got a beam in my eye. I'm so much better. I'm chosen. Jesus calls you, the people that do that, not you guys, but uh, a hypocrite. Why? Well, because who else does Jesus reference as hypocrites? But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Hypocrites. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. They love standing, pray standing in the synagogues. Hypocrites. Judaism, the concept of the Jews is the chosen, the chosen people, the chosen people. In Judaism, the concept of the Jews as the chosen people is the belief that Jews, via descendant from the ancient Israelites, are the chosen people. These are people that are going around acting like they don't have a beam in one eye. They got a beam in two eyes. They're like, and by the way, they don't even care about the moat in your eyes. They'll like pour dust in your beam. So why does Jesus call these people hypocrites? Because they're walking around with two beams in their eyes. Does this sound like people that are willing to walk in your shoes? That are walking in twain with you? No. So why did Jesus call him a hypocrite? This is where this phrase comes from, a beam in one's eye. A fault that is greater in oneself than the person that one is finding fault with. Right? There's a greater fault within you. You're sitting there on your little high horse in your freaking mansion up on top. You're in like the, you know, the ivory tower and you're looking at the, look at all these people. It's like, meanwhile, duh, bro, bro, bro. The greater fault is actually with you. Because you didn't see yourself as spiritually equal with everybody. You thought you were better than everybody. Then it goes on to say, Jesus says this, give not, that this is Matthew 7, 6, give not that which is whole, this, there's a lot of these statements in this chapter 7 that are really potent. Like that a lot of people know. Like give a holy unto the dog, straighten this gate, and there is a way. Judge not, lest he be not judged. This is jam-packed. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. What does rend mean? It means to tear apart, tear something into two, wrench something violently, cause great emotional pain, strife, that sort of thing. So, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Okay, let's take a second and look at this. First and foremost, um, dogs have paws and pigs have hooves. Okay, and even the pig, like the cloven hoof, that's actually a symbol for, that's one of the symbols for like Satan, that sort of thing, right? So dogs have paws and pigs, swine, have hooves. And this is what the verse says. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet. Well, dogs have paws and who, you know pigs have hooves, so they don't really have feet. So what is Jesus referencing right now? People. Obviously. He, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the man of peace, who's just an, a, a, a blessing of light that's just, whoa, this guy. Do you know what he's doing? He's calling people swines and dogs. <laughs> right? How many new age, lovey-dovey sort of people, you know, that they, 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 they don't like aggression. They don't like, they think that's not a thing. That's not, really, because Jesus went in and like he turned over tables and he went to the synagogue and taught when he wasn't. And he was like literally lambasting people, like chiding him, you know, rebuking them. Then here he is and he's being like, hey man, if you want to recognize your spiritual equality with people, don't cast stuff to swine and dogs. How many people, like, like I said, like even like new age or that sort of thing is like, if somebody like, could you imagine Eckhart Tolle coming out and being like, 
They're all a bunch of swines and dogs. You know how many people would get up and leave the Eckhart Tolle thing, right? This is what Jesus was doing. He's like, he was equating people to swine and dogs because that's where they were in their spiritual pursuit. Now, he's just letting he's just letting you know, do not cast your pearls to them. This isn't even necessarily um, ripping on people that are swines and dogs and things like that. He's just saying, look, if you have a, if you have a, a, a elevated yourself in some spiritual way, do not just like Woo, cast your pearls. What? Why all the choice in the language? Let's deconstruct this. Casting pearls before swine. You've got pearls in your little satchel, and you're just giving them the, the swine. And you know, so first off, why pearls? Why pearls? Why does Jesus call your spiritual knowledge, pursuit, that sort of thing, pearls of wisdom? Today, natural pearls are extremely rare. Only one in 10,000 wild oysters will yield a pearl. And some of those pearls are small size. So it's even less the people that actually can use it for jewelry and that sort of stuff. Some pearls, out of the one in 10,000 that are in the, the, the oyster, the one in 10,000, it can take up to six months for that pearl and sometimes up to four years for it to develop. Rare, right? In order to find enough pearl oysters, free divers, this is what you would have to do back in the day, were often forced to descend to depths of over a hundred feet on a single breath, exposing them to dangers of hostile creatures, waves, eye damage, and drowning. So, they're extremely rare, one in 10,000. You have to, right, and sometimes they're even small if you find them. They can take up to six months, up to four years to develop. Then you have to go down way into the deep with one breath, holding it, grab a, you know, grab an oyster or whatever, lift it up, and oh, there's no pearl. Grab another, there's no pearl. Grab another, there's no pearl. You might do that 10,000 times, you know, and then you'll find the pearl. Why, so why did Jesus mention a pearl? Because only those who are willing to brave the depths can truly understand and appreciate the pearls found there. Only those who have gone through that hero's journey and received the pearls through their own merits, through their own great work, through their own faith, can understand the wisdom that they have. This is why I can be online for 12 years, literally talking about the same thing, counting to seven on my hands, and watch as all of these truthers go out of their way to ignore what we're doing here. Why? because they can't handle it. They have the pearls and they don't even they can't even see it. It's the same thing with flat earth. You can put in somebody's lap all of the information, all the lies, you know, all of the things that can provable, you know, show provably that at least this, we're not on some spinning freaking ball. You can place all of that information in somebody's lap and if they are not ready to receive it, they will reject it. I've been watching it since 2015-16 now. Only those who are willing to brave the depths can truly appreciate the pearls found there. This is what it's saying. There's a, there's a Kurdish proverb that says, He who wants pearls must dive into the sea. He who wants the pearls must dive into the sea. What do we mean? What are the depths? You have to go on the hero's journey. You start there. You have to go down, son. You have to go down to the darkness. And then once God sees that you're fit for the adventure, then he will give you the pearls. Then you will receive the pearls of wisdom. Those who receive it, Jesus is saying, well, don't go cast them out because guess what? You'll exhaust yourself trying to cast them out because the people that you're casting to are not ready to hear. They do not have the eyes to, eyes to see, the ears to hear. They don't have it. So you're wasting your time. By the way, this, this whole uh, thing, 
this whole pearl, uh, this uh, Matthew 7, 6. I'm oh, sorry. My Lord, too many graphics. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew 7, 6, where is it? There, this one. This is something that's reiterated in masonry all the time. And we'll actually read this once again in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus will say the same thing. Keep a secret. Don't tell anybody. This is what, this is what masons do, right? Masons, they actually listen to the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. I know, the masons know, that most people, they can't even handle their claims of what goes on outside of the lodge let alone what goes inside the what goes inside the lodge they all think it's demon worship and devil and stuff like that they've already got their head full of nonsense the people the masons in that lodge know that and this is why they don't bother trying to go to you and try to explain stuff or try to you know when you see all of these endless channels and stuff like that that are ripping on masonry they don't even bother to try to correct them why because they'd be casting pearls to swine So, um, so for instance, you could, you know, you could do this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And 14 times two is 28. And the seventh triangular number is 28, which means one of the most sacred, revered, hallowed numbers around the world in spiritual and, you know, religious and religions and cultures all over the world. The number seven is heralded as sacred. Why? We can come along and say, well, God put it right in front of you. And do you know how many people? that information, that basic piece of information will completely miss. Not only will people, they, it will be completely missed by people, but people will go out of their way to ignore it because that light's too bright, son. They can't handle it. It's as simple as that. Do not cast your pearls to swine because the swine won't recognize what they got. They haven't been on the hero's journey. They didn't go into the darkness. They can't recognize that, my Lord, the pearl that you're holding, do you know what it took to get that? How many breaths I had to hold? You know how many oysters I had to pop open? You know how many times went, oh, there was nothing there. Oh, there was nothing there. Oh, there was nothing there. Think about your spiritual journey. How many times did you do the same thing? You opened up a book and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. What is this? Greg Braden. Let's open this. What is it? Oh, wow. There's nothing there. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 7, 8. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What does this mean? What are we talking about here? This is obviously talking about, first off, um, let's go back here. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. God gives it to you when you ask. When you go through that hero's journey and undertake the adventure yourself, it will be given to you, and ye shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. Giveth, receiveth. What is this? This is Kabbalah. This is Kabbalah. This is literally what it means. Kabbalah teaches that our individual lives reflect a universal process. Fact. The Kabbalists teach that we are meant to receive endless blessings from the Creator. Fact. In fact, the word Kabbalah means to receive. Fact. To receive. This is what Kabbalah means. Those blessings from God, Kabbalistic. It means to receive. Um, Kabbalah is defined as that which is received. Um, reception, tradition, correspondence. Correspondence with God. A correspondence with God. When people talk about having a personal God, I don't think they realize how personal that God can get. 
The tradition of Kabbalah ultimately purports that there is knowledge that one cannot grasp or know purely through engagement in the scientific method, nor begotten through merely intellectual pursuits. The knowledge that attains to God is one that defies logic, yet is supremely logical, is rational and yet irrational simultaneously. It is so, verifiably so, and yet unbelievably so. The tradition of Kabbalah exclaims that man may receive gifts of wisdom, insights, verities, epiphanies, and divine knowledge directly from God himself. Hence, Kabbalah being defined as receiving. Now, I'm going to do a whole live stream talking about my own Kabbalistic receptions and that sort of thing, like things that I had received from God that I certainly didn't come up with. I ain't that smart. This, this thing right here, you see this septenary cipher? That was a Kabbalistic reception. I didn't come up with that. I didn't make it up. I'm not that, I don't, I don't have that complexity of mind, dude. That's a reception. This is another thing that Masons will say in the lodge as well, asking it shall be given unto you, seek, and you should, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it's up to you. It's all up to you. You need to ask. You need to knock. Then it'll be opened up to you. If you ask, you'll receive. You have to, you have to be genuine. You have to want it. You have to be in earnest. Otherwise, God's going to be like, I'm not going to give it to you, right? You're half-assing it, bro. You're 80%. Right? When the when the football players that go onto the field at, at the Super Bowl, do you think that they're 80%? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you think, do you need all 100% to climb up Mount Everest or are you going to just throw in like 72%? That's good enough. No. It wants you to be 100% and you have to want it. This is what masonry will teach you as well. This is something I learned directly from masonry is that you must be an autodidact. You must be, in other words, a self taught person you must undertake that spiritual journey and it's all on your shoulders you can't go to some guru or sage you can't come to marty Leeds and be like well marty's gonna take take me up the mountain no he's not no i'm not you have to do it an autodidact and this is what you'll you'll learn in masonry um it actually says right here this is from a guy um a clip it says in our second degree we are implored to become ceaseless autodidacts to learn music Grammar, logic, and geometry. Each of these dis uh, disciplines offers a lifetime of study and a broad and complex uh, declination of a narrower and narrower focus. And that's really what it is. Once you learn this stuff, this is what the alchemical process is. You start distilling down stuff. You get to narrower and narrower focus. You're like, okay, oh, this is fluff, and I don't need this, and this is fluff, and that was nonsense. And I opened that, opened that pearl, and there was nothing there. I opened that pearl, there's nothing there. Eventually. Or your, your oyster, you open that oyster, there's nothing there. Open that oyster, there's nothing there. Open that oyster, there's nothing there. Next thing you know, you're going to get to a pearl. This is what it's all about. And this is what Jesus is saying. You must knock. You must ask. And then you, if you're in earnest and genuine, will receive. An autodidact is someone who pursues knowledge of God because he genuinely wants his spiritual questions answered. Let's say that again. An autodidact is someone who pursues knowledge of God because he genuinely wants his spiritual questions answered. He seeks a direct experience, Gnostic experience. That's what it is. He is in earnest. He is willingly taking on the pursuit of the mysteries and is not satisfied with letting others explain God to him. Well, I just go to this person here and then ah, that's good, that's close, that's bad. That, that, that priest over there, that pastor, that bishop, ah, I got about 70% or whatever. I'll just go with that guy. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you must do it. He is willingly taking on the pursuit of the mysteries that is not satisfied with letting others explain God to him. That was me. I was like, you guys, I, I remember going as a young man 
getting into this stuff, 27, 28 years old, really get into the occult, right? Esoteric sort of stuff like that. I remember that whole time, I, 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 you know, because I was getting into religions and reading religious texts and listening to everybody and their brother kind of thing. And I just remember it was like, I, I clearly remember saying this numerous times. I'm like, none of you guys have it. None of you guys have it. I, I have a billion questions. Your pursuit, your explanation isn't providing any of them and still isn't today. An autodidact seeks to know himself, his world, and God. That's what it is. Okay? And that's what you need to become in order to, you know, truly understand God. You can't go to somebody else for the answers. God gave you the answers. This is what Kabbalah is all about. Kabbalah teaches you that God gave the answers right in front of you. Um, then it goes on to say this. Of, or what man is there of you? Or what man is there of you whom if... His son asked Brad, we'll give him a stone. So Jesus is coming along saying, hey, how many of you dudes out there, if your child was going to come up to you and be like, I'm hungry, give me some bread, you know, you're going to give him, you're going to, you know, lob a freaking stone on him. Or if the, the, the child comes up and says, oh, I, I, you know, I, can I have a fish? And you give him a serpent. Hello? Oh, it's all good. Okay. So, um, this is, let me, sorry, let me get back to this. So, and there, there's obviously, I'm just going to go over this real quick, but there's obviously, you know, celestial references and things like that here, right? First off, when he says, oh, why do you say if you ask him for bread, you give him a stone? Well, this is a reference to something that we just mentioned when Jesus was dealing with the devil himself, right? When the tempter came to him, he said, if the, be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That's a reference to that. Then, of course, when it says, if you ask for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Once again, this is reference to what? Of course, the Vesca Pisces, the main fish of the Jesus. This is the Jesus fish. This is the Ictus fish. That comes from the Vesca Pisces. So the son's asking for, hey, can I have the Vesca Pisces? And what are you going to do? Go give him Draco the dragon? This is what these things are referencing. Obviously, Jesus is like, no, you're, you know, this is what he ends up saying. If ye then, being evil, you guys are evil. We'll get to that. Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So basically what Jesus is saying, actually, I think that has this here. This is a good way of saying it. Um, Jesus' reason, if a human parent who is a fallen being, this is what is meant by your evil. We'll get into that. <laughs> this is poetry. If a human parent who is a fallen being is capable of caring for their children, and giving them good things. In other words, your son's going to ask for a fish. You're not going to give him. Oop, you're not going to give him a serpent. Son asks for you're hungry. I want some bread. You're not going to give him a stone. You know, even as a fallen being, how to take care of your children. So if you know how to do it, how much more will our heavenly Father show consideration for His children and bestow good things upon them? And this is what it's saying. So Jesus here is saying, if ye then, being evil. He's calling the people around him evil. Think about this for a second. Once again, context, 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 right? You can't just be like, well, look, he's called him evil. Well, you also have to recognize all the other times in the book where he said, well, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king resides within you. Have I, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. All of the other things that are being said. What does this evil mean? If then, ye then, being evil, comma, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father in heaven give them good things? Ask, what is this saying? The earth, as we've covered, you have to understand teleology. You have to understand purpose. You have to understand what earth is made for. Upstairs is actual life. 
In other words, heaven, the heavenly world, is eternal life. That's actual life. We live a life down here, but where, what is the life that, we've lived, that we live down here? We have lived in a fallen world, right? In the sense that now this is, once again, poetry. When you fall, what do you do? You get back up. You don't just fall. The reason that they're using this terminology is actually to put you on your spiritual pursuit. It's not to, for you to look around and be like, oh, this place is cursed. No, you're a fallen being. And you've fallen into a world that what? In this world down here, this is where death is allowed to exist. This is where evil is allowed to exist. This is where suffering is allowed to exist. So that what? We can experience that, experience the ebb and flow, the, the, the balance, and ultimately recognize this is temporary. We seek eternal life. Okay? And this is what he's saying. So the earth in this sense is dead. This is where evil happens. This is where death happens. Upstairs doesn't happen. Okay, so this is what he's saying. He's this, this context is saying, this is where you are, right? Even in your fallen state, you still have enough God in within you that you can basically, you, you know, listen to your children and give them the basic needs. Once again, this is when, when we hang so literally on these things, we miss the poetry. It's basic things that even children can understand. Evil is a mirror of what? Live. If you've lived, what is that? It's a mirror of devil. Good God. Evil devil. The reason that these terms are used and you can make such a basic comparison is because you're supposed to make that basic comparison. If you live, if we're in, in this sense, life. Life itself, if you live, you have been subjected to what? Evil. If you have lived down here, you have been part and parcel to the workings of the devil in that sort of sense. Why? Because that's what goes on down here. This is the purpose of it. You cannot sharpen your sword without that devil. You can't possibly go into the depths without that devil. You can't possibly understand eternal life without going through that process. And that's what this whole thing is about. And you can't reject the process. You cannot reject it. Once again, what did Jesus do? Well, he rejected the devil, but what did he first do? Went and walked in twain with him. Why? Because he knew that the devil was a fallen angel. And he also knew that what? Jesus, well, I, I got to go on this spiritual journey. I already know, like, the devil's got nothing on me. I'm going to reject you, but I'll go walk with you. Let's go up to that high place and check the whole thing out. Then it says this, Therefore, Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that man should do to you, do ye even so to them, colon, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the law. They're reiterating again. He's reiterating again, saying, look, you need to put yourself in that other person's shoes. Feel that pain that they don't want. All that sort of stuff. And do so to them, what they, you would, you know, that sort of thing, what you would do to you. Do, so, do ye even so to them, for this is the law. The law and the prophets. Okay, so um, so congratulations if you're down here and you've dealt with any suffering and pain and evil and trauma and that sort of stuff, right? And you've not played the victim and actually become the victor, congratulations, you're tempering your sword of the spirit. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back for just a second there, okay? Don't get too cocky, but you know, <laughs> you still need the humility. But, because um, that's what we're here to do. 
Fight dragons. So go be a dragon slayer. All right. For those of you that would like to support the good work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, we keep going for your with your support. So if you like what we do here, please support. You can send us snail mail, donations, make checks payable to Kevin McNally, N17178 Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin, uh, 54156. And if you like, you can become a subscribe star. A member of the subscribe star, we do a Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, that sort of thing. So if you would like to support the fine work that we do here, we very much appreciate it. Okay? Let's play some music. Alright, to all of you uh, out there that do support the fine work, that buy books and things like that and keep this going, we really appreciate it. We'd like, to, we'd like to keep this thing going, and so we can't do it without you, so thank you so much. Okay, let's keep going. So, Matthew 7.12, we just went to that. Let's do the big line in this chapter, right? Matthew 7.13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat they're at. Then here's the big line. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth on to life and few there be that find it. It's a great line. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth on to life and few there be that find it. By the way, as a musician, like songwriter, like written poetry and things like that over the years, this, the Bible is an endless source, by the way, of uh, inspiration when it comes to like lines and uh, like writing lyrics and things like that, because it is so rhythmic. It is so lyrical. It really is. Um, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Okay, we of course we know the narrow gate. We've we've seen this right, and basically what it's saying is that ah oh, the the devil's just like ah oh, come on in everybody right easy peasy come on the big path. This is new age. This is um, this is I mean this is pretty much all every church. I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, you, you might as well, the churches might be on the right there with the devil and he's playing his little, um, so you have the wide gate where everybody's in. It's like, yes, we're all going to be saved and stuff like that. But you still got the beam in your eye. Well, that's because I'm saved and I'm one of Christ, but you're still like, you know, bitching at all the moats. Ah, but we're going to the top of the mountain. That's essentially what's, you know, and you see that going on all over today. How many of the, how many the Christians or people that have their, it doesn't even mean Christians, like you can see Bislam and people, that, I've got the thing. 
You know, it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. There, it, God's got the way and the path. You've got, I don't know what you got. A bunch of different illustrations you see on the left there, right? Wide path. You know, there's, you can get ice cream along the way. You know, you can get a massage. And the next thing you know, you'll go into the, you know, Joe versus the volcano kind of thing. And then on the right there, it's like, ooh, that's a mountain pass. You're going to have to climb up there. And then, you you know, how many people are going up the mountain pass? How many people are going the left way, right? That's a great one right there. Isn't that great? You know, sensuality, sexuality, pride, deceit, lies. I'm better than everybody. I've got to like, oh, why? Shit. God, I can't, I can't get through. So, and this reminds me of like a lot of mountain passes that I, that I used to do and stuff like that. Like when you get to the top, there's, they usually call it like a keyhole or there's, they call it a defile, a narrow pass, a saddleback. Cause about, you know, like a lot of times when you get to the top of mountains, there'll be this like really like, you know, it's like, oh, I got to climb or I got to boulder up to the top or there isn't a path. And so next thing you know, I got to go. And that's what they're talking about. It's almost like a natural phenomenon. There's a lot of people that will not even climb, myself included. This happened in, in uh, uh, actually, I think two mountains in, one for sure, but two, I think, in Colorado, where I basically got to the top and you had to like scramble to the very, very top. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I was like, you know. So this is really what it's talking about. And, that you know, when you talk about like the mountains here, like look at this, look at this illustration here. You know, um, this you see on the right there. It's like, oh, it's going up to a mountain. It's always going up to a mountain. This one, same thing. They're going up to a mountain to see Jesus, right? Then what is the mountain? Well, that's in our cosmology. That's in our cosmology. This, the 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 stars, like literally the, the canopy of the stars above, points up to this thing. And it's been illustrated as a mountain, a mountain or a tree. Tree in the center or a mountain? Almost universally. Sometimes, as I've said, like the Norse, they put a tree on top of the mountain just to, just to put, you know... You know, literally push this into your head. And so this is this is what it's saying. Now it also says, and straight is the gate and narrow is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. People, once again, they don't understand what the way is. The way is the primordial natural law on which the entire universe has been given its shape and mechanics. The way, the Tao, the way. This is a this is a highly mystical idea that's found all over. It's the idea of the primordial natural law, God's law, in which the entire universe has been given its shape and mechanics. This is Logos. It's no different. This is why Jesus is saying, I'm the way. Because it's Logos. You follow that. Okay? Um, and we'll get into the math here. And it says, I just want to mention this. It says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravening wolves. I mean, this is, for the most part, let's just say it, a lot of these churches as well. And we'll get to this in just a second. We'll get back to this. A lot of these churches, this is what they're doing. They're like, oh, come, we have the way. It's a wide path. They're, they're giving you the wide path. That's it. It's like, oh, it's all wide. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think. You just have to be. You know what I mean? Oh, you've already been saved. You dipped your head in the water and the baptist, or you claimed yourself, I am, and that's it. That's That's essentially most of the modern churches today. So, let's get back to, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This is very mathematical. Very mathematical. Okay, first and foremost, Jennifer mentioned this right away. She's like, hey, did you spell straight incorrectly? Nope, I didn't. This is how it's spelled in the Bible. Because straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, is the gate, and what? What, apparently Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was shitty at spelling. He would have failed a spelling bee. Is that what's going on here? 
Why is straight spelled S-T-R-A-I-T and not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T like it's supposed to be spelled? Well, it's just a bit, that's just how they used to do it and write it way back in the day. Nope. Because if you look in other places in the Bible, straight, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Straight, S-T-R-I-A-I-G-H-T. S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It's spelled correctly in a bunch of other verses. But then we go to Jesus and apparently, you know, Jesus can't spell or something, or maybe the ancient writers couldn't spell. Or whenever you see, this is this is a note, take note. Whenever you see a mistake, and actually, uh, Mimi, are you here? Mimi had asked this question. Mimi M, are you here? She was. Now she's gone. She's like, I don't need you people anymore. Anyway, she had mentioned this. And um, about how, like, hey, there was all these mistakes in the Bible, like punctuation that's off, and then there's question marks where there shouldn't be, and some things aren't capitalized and stuff like that. Whenever you see that in the text, this is a tell. That's a tell. In, in cryptology, that would be like, oh, oh, that's, there's a mistake there. No, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake at all. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> I'm reading William Shakespeare right now. This is Midsummer's Night's Dream, right? And this is the original manuscript, okay? This is Willie Shakespeare, guys. Pay attention. Willie Shakespeare. Obviously, he knew what he was doing. The printers back in the day, they knew what they were doing, right? So this is, uh, we go to page 151, and then, so that's Midsummer Night's Dream, and then you go to uh, page 152, and then, so that's Midsummer's Night's Dream, and then you go to one page 50, 153, wait, what? One... It went 151, 152, and then back to 151. They skipped 153, by the way. That should be ringing some bells in this audience. Wait, you mean to tell me that the people that did the pagination on the original manuscript of William Shakespeare couldn't fucking count? Pardon my language. Sorry, Bobby96. Um, You mean to tell me they couldn't count? Of course they could count. Of course they could count. Why did they screw up the pagination? Because there's a mystery to unveil. That's why. And then where did they screw it up? Where did they where did William Shakespeare make a mistake? On page 153. That's a tell. That's saying this is trying to get the person that's reading the book to say, wait, what's going on here? That's specifically for that reason. Now, why didn't they spell straight correctly? Just as they did in the rest of the Bible. Because they were encoding math. Because if they would have spelled straight correctly, this math wouldn't have come out the way it is. What is this math? Let's get into it. It's going to lead us right to the equality of God that's within every single human being. That's what it's going to do. This, the mathematics behind this verse are going to lead you to exactly what we talked about, exactly what we've talked about numerous times in this channel, and exactly to the geometric symbol that allows you to understand that the eternal spark of the divine that's within every single human being is equal. Let's do it. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, this equals 361. See that? Gematria total at the bottom there, 300. And 61. Okay. 361 is a reference to the monad. It's a reference to the monad. 360, we all know the, the degrees of a circle is 360, right? Obviously. So the monad is a symbol of wholeness, totality, totality divinity, God, right? And 
It's given the distinction of 361 in the original Greek. Why not 360? Why not 360? So this is the, um, there's the, there's the Greek letters. So that's Mu, Omicron, Nu, Alpha, Sigma. 40, 70, 51, 200. You can, um, you can double check all that if you want. That's Monas. That's the original Greek for Monad. Monas, uh, Mu, Omicron, Nu, uh, Alpha, Sigma. I got to brush up on my Greek. 40, 70, 51, 200. This equals 361. This is the Monad. The symbol for this oneness was understood by the ancient geometricians to be the monad, or a circle with a dot in the center of it. This symbol is easily created by simply piercing a page with a compass and swinging the arm around 360 degrees. That's what that symbol is. That symbol, which is a symbol of divinity, wholeness, that sort of thing, is made by the compass. So in other words, we need, it's absolutely, it's a necessity for us to understand the basics of mathematics, geometry, the quadrivium, in order to understand the deeper levels and messages that God, that Jesus is, is speaking. So that is a point, and you circle around 360 degree, 60 degrees. But it's not given the distinction of 360. It's given you the distinction of 361. Why? To the ancient mathematical philosophers, the circle, this comes from uh, Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe, to the ancient mathematical philosophers, the circle symbolized the number one. They knew it was the source of all subsequent shapes, the womb in which all geometric patterns develop. The Greek term for the principles represented by the circle was the monad. In the alphanumeric correspondences of the Greeks, the letters of the word monad added up to 361. And we did the math right in front of you. You can double check that. The system allows for a difference of one. This is called the rule of Kolel. So the word for oneness becomes 360. Not coincidentally, not coincidentally, as that is also the number of degrees around a full, full circle. So um, the medieval geometers contemplated the compass as an abstract symbol for the eye of God. Okay, 360 degrees and one, which is what? You. You got to include yourself in the math. The monad is an elementary individual substance that reflects the order of the world. Just as Jesus was saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then we said, well, what is the way? literally the primordial order of the entire universe. Then the, then we're given the actual mathematics of the monad. And what is the monad? It's a symbol that reflects the order of the world and from which material properties are derived. That is your monad. Now, our, your, our monad, by the way, is our cosmology. You know the mountain that we're supposed to climb up? There's a, there's a wide path They'll head you to the devil. And then there's a mountain, and it's a straight and narrow gate, and it heads right up to the top of that pole star. And then the ancient geometers said, yeah, God used a big compass when he made the world. This symbol here is a symbol of our cosmology. It's also a symbol of where God is. The Lord, that's center in there, within the God. Once again, let's go back here. We're going to... I'm going to hammer this home. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth on to life and few there be that find it. This equals 361. And double check all of that math. In other words, why is straight spelled S-T-R-A-I-T and not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T? Number one, because they had to make the math work. Number one. Number two, to make sure that when you're reading this to, to, to those that are actually on the spiritual path, in other words, right? When they're reading it and be like, wait, why is straight spelled incorrectly? Boom. Now your brain's going. Now 
the encryptors of this book just got into your head and they start and that now it's forcing you to ask questions wait a second that doesn't make any sense what is jesus retarded he can't spell no 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 Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth on to life and few there be that find it. 361. 361. This is the monad. This is once again recognizing your spiritual quality with one another. When you see clearly, cast the moat, cast the beam, get down to the brass taxes, to the actual divine spark. You know what you're going to see? The exact same thing in another person's eyes. Do you know how you see this? Just look into a child's eyes. That's it. All of this math and circles and cosmology and misspellings and all this other stuff to, to do what God, you know, the, the, this basic emotion that we have, to see the light in a child's eyes and be like, oh, that's divine. There's, that thing's got God all up in him. And not like the Pope has, we'll get to that. <laughs> on the level. This is what we mean. This is what the Masons mean by on the level. Most people, a lot of, because I deal with <laughs> flat earthers and stuff all the time, right? God bless y'all. Earth is flat. But they all hate on masonry, right? And then they see on the level, that means they all believe, they all know the earth is flat and they're keeping it from humanity. No, no. If you actually read masonry, they'll tell you what on the level means. It's a level of your, it's a symbol of your spiritual equality. That's what it is. I'm on the level with you. Now, maybe I'm more spiritually advanced. Maybe I'm more successful in life and blah, 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 blah. But guess what? I don't give a shit about that. Well, I'm going to cast that beam out of my eye and then I'm going to see you for exactly who you are and I'm going to see me for exactly what I am, a divine spark of God, and I'm going to recognize our equality. This is what it means. The equality expressed here does not mean that of wealth, social distinction, civil office, or service to mankind. Masons use the term to refer to the internal and not the external qualifications. This is why I find this stuff so beautiful. Because that's that's true. That's true. Jesus is saying it. The Masons are saying it too. Now, 361. Let's go here. Um, our ancient ancestors depicted the higher self, lower self, using the monad. This comes from Richard Cassaro. All ancient cultures, bar none, that's his claim. Use the, the, the monad or the circumpunct is what it's called to depict your higher self inside your lower self, which can be interpreted as your spiritual soul inside your physical body. That's exactly what it is. It can be said that your lower self is the outer circle while your higher self is the dot in the center. Uh, Manly Palmer Hall says, you know, something similar. The fall of man is the descent from the dot in the center to the circumference. The resurrection or redemption of man is his return from the circumference to the dot. Manly Palmer Hall. I mean, you can look at it really either way. It doesn't It doesn't matter. But that's what those two things represent. So let's go back to our cosmology. Let's go back to what, let's go back to what Manly Palmer Hall was saying. And he's saying, what he's saying is absolutely spot freaking on. Let's go here. The fall of man is the descent from the dot in the center to the circumference of the outside. The resurrection or redemption of man is his return from the circumference to the dot. What's in the center of our dot? That's the North Star. That's the pole star. That's the entrance into heaven. That's the straight and narrow gate. That's the mountain, mountain pass. Manly Palmer Hall saying, we fell from that dot to the circumference. Now your journey is from the circumference back to the dot. Jesus is saying the same thing. You're given geometry to understand the words of Jesus. Now, 
What does 361 come from? So we saw straightens again, narrows way to lead the line. Let V be fine. But 361. We noticed that the monad was 361. 360 degrees plus one. This comes from the number 19, actually. 19. Does anybody here remember anything? We'll get we'll get we'll get into that. But the Covidians, remember that? We'll get to that. Zero. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 is your vigesimal system. 0 through 19 is what's known as a vigesimal system. It's a base 20 system. It's 10 up here and 10 on your little toes here. Right, you got 10 down there, 10 down there, 10 up here. That's a base 20 system. That's known as your vigesimal system. A vigesimal system is 0 through 19. 19 represents you. A little math. 19 squared is 361. It's the monad. The circle and the dot represents you and your spiritual quality with every other human being that comes down here internally, not externally. Once again, internally. Externally is where you decide if you're sacred and profane, what you do with this life. All right, so 361, that reference that. Then that, that symbol also can be found on the mathematics of you by simply squaring what God has put down here and up here. 19 squared, 361. What else can we get from 19? Adding 0 through 19 is 190. Okay? So 361, 190. This will all make sense in just a second. The properties of the the number 190. So adding 0 through 19, your piggies and your, 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 your hands and your toes there, right? Fingers and your toes. Add those up, 0 through 19, it equals 190. The properties of the number 190, the sum of the divisors equals 360. So 190 directly relates to 360. 190 is begotten by what? 0 through 19. Square 19, what do you get? 361. It's a difference of 1. It's a difference of 1. This is the tree of life. This is the Kabbalistic, the Jewish Kabbalistic tree of life. Their, their interpretation of it. And that's exactly what it is. Interpretation. Um, hi, bud. You want to say hi? Come here. Look at this. Look at this man, huh? He's got a new collar. He's got owls because he's wise. You know what? Owls can see 270. They can move their head 270 degrees and 360. And they can see all over and you can't see shit. You can't see anything. Except mama's love. The monad in 361 and the Kabbalistic tree of life. Look, what are the top three? There's 10 emanate, ten spheres, 10, you know, whatever, emanations of God in the Kabbalistic tree of life. The top three, they're above his head. Just as it shows. Then there's the six in the middle. Arms below, the two in the body, right? Then there's one below, under his feet. So there's three six, and one. G61. You know where else this is found? Well, that's Jewish, but I, we don't do that here in the Christian blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, Jesus did the same thing. The same thing. Remember when we did, in the book of Mark, if you've been paying attention, which you should, in the book of Mark, we did the, the seeds that fell by the side and the ones that got burnt up in the ground and then the fowls of the air came and then there were these seeds that were placed in the good ground 
the parable of the, the sower, right? We, we talked about this. There were all these seeds and some of the, the fowls of the air came and bought, you know, ate them up and then some fell and were scorched in the earth and then some like the, you know, the vines came and, you know, choked it up and all this other stuff. And then there were some seeds that fell into the good ground. There were some seeds that fell into the good ground and other fell on the good ground, the earth, the earthen vessel, and did yield up fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30. Three plus zero is three. Brought some 60, 6 plus 0 is 6. And brought some 100, 1 plus 0 plus 0 is 1. Do you know what 30 plus 60 plus 100 equals? 190. This is the parable of the sower, and do you know what it's given you? The exact same thing as the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, and the exact same thing as the monad. Facts. It's, it's the most basic math that children could do. <laughs> That's what's so great about what I do. Like, I, don't, I count to seven. I barely even get to ten most of the time. You know, it's like, <laughs> so there's the fell in the good ground. Some 30, 3 plus 0 is 3. Some 60, 6 plus 0 is 6. And some 100, 1 plus 0 plus 0 is 1. 361, and what does that add to? 190. How do you get 190? Add 1 through 19. What's 19 squared? 361. It's the monad. All of this geometry, all of this math, all of those parables, the Kabbalistic tree of life, the words from Jesus on the, on the mount were all pointing to verifiable mathematics that point to God within you. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth on to life and few there be that find it. What life are they talking about? Eternal life, obviously. Immortality. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything because I think I did. Um, sorry, give me a second. Give me a second. Oh, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Notice... The, he's given the distinction between the out, just as the Masons did, talking about spiritual equality outward, right? External, internal. Jesus is saying, guess what? Externally, there's a lot of people that are going to come to be like, oh, I'm so sacred and I'm the, I've got the one path and the way to come to this church. But inside, they're ravening wolves. They don't have love for humanity. They don't actually see their spiritual equality with one another. Do you think any of the Orthodox these Eastern Orthodox, do you think that they're listening to one ounce of the words that are coming of Jesus' mouth? No, they think that they're better than everybody by their actions. Good luck. You got a wide path, son. Pretty damn wide. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside they are ravening wolves. Amen, Jesus. The guy knew what he was talking about. I'm here to tell you. Matthew 7, 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You shall know them by their fruits. Then it goes on to say this. We'll come back. No, let's just stop there. Let's stop there. You shall know them by their fruits. I just did a live stream where I sort of talked about this and then we're going to reiterate it again. How many of those churches, and I made this point, that when this, when I was, you know, I've been a minister for five years now, stuff like that. I've been dealing with spiritual topics since the very first video I put on YouTube. My very first video on YouTube was on what? English Gematria and Lord Jesus Christ. Facts. Okay? I've been dealing with spiritual topics exclusively for over a decade now, right? When Covidians, the Covidians of the 19, showed up on our doorstep, what did you all watch these churches do? 
And don't lie to yourself. Don't make excuses. No, just call a spade a spade. What did the churches do? Six feet apart today is better than six feet under tomorrow. We got to close. No more uh, holy water. We're going to put, we're gonna sit every, if we do, you know, if we uh, do a church service, everybody's got to be six feet apart. We got to put the masks on. We gotta, we're going to, literally, they're going to replace the holy water with like some Purell hand sanitizer and stuff like that. No, we're not going to open the church doors. We're going to do this on Zoom. That's what happened. Endless denominations all did the same thing. Grace Brethren Church and the Southeast Baptist Church and the Luke Park Baptist. Church activities suspended. Worship God in all circumstances. Well, then you can't suspend the activities of the church. That doesn't make any sense. Wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. (laughs) One of those actually is provable. The Jesus one. I don't know about that second one, but anyway. (laughs) This is what happened. How about the, the Russian Orthodox Church? Remember when the devil came out, popped his head out of every corner of every freaking room, all the TV was saying the exact same thing. Propaganda 24-7 nonstop saying the exact same shit. All the governors came out. What did they do? Read a script and literally the exact same thing. Oh, wait, all the lockdowns are going to be pretty much the same in every state, save for maybe like North Dakota? Yep. Where did all of these governors get the script? I don't know, probably some draconian piece of shit. All of these churches bowed. All of them. Russian vaccinator repent, Russian Orthodox Church says. A woman receives a dose of Sputnik 5. <laughs> they called it Sputnik. <laughs> In a vaccination center at a shopping mall, because that's usually where I go to get my health, at a shopping mall. <laughs> Russia's powerful Orthodox Church admonished people refusing to be vaccinated against COVID-19 calling them sinners who would have to atone for the rest of their lives, the Russian Orthodox Church said. Hmm. What did the Pope, what did the Catholics say? No matter how small, love is always grand. You get, look, look at this. Look at what's going on here. No matter how small, we know how small you like it. You like between 10, or no, no, like 2 and 12. Anything post-pubescent, you know, pubescent, yeah, it gets a little, anyway. Um, Diddler there, Pope Diddler II Uh, On the other hand, urge Catholics to be vaccinated as an act of love or a moral obligation. That's what the Catholics said. What did the Baptists say? Oh, that's right. What did the, you know, what did the Orthodox say? What did the Russian Orthodox say? What did the Catholics say? You shall know them by their fruits. Remember Arthur Pawlowski, that, that pastor up in Canada? Well, all those Canuck churches cucked. The Canucks cucked. That's what happened. All those churches cucked. Cucked to the devil. That's what they did. This guy was pulled over by like a bunch of police because he kept his church open. He's like, no, we're not doing that. No, that's that goes against our rights, our, our charter rights. That goes against, you know, God's law. That goes against everything that's good, true, and beautiful in this world. This guy stood up for it. Knees down in the middle of a street, and he held his ground, went to prison. It's like, no, I'm not. No, no, I was in the right. F you, government. And they try to, you know, all these things threatened his brother, threatened his family. You, you guys, if you guys paid attention to this story at all, what's our, this guy said no throughout the whole thing. You shall know them by their fruits. Do you know what I, I don't care about? Arthur Pulowski and I, we could disagree on pretty much everything in here and other religions and stuff like that, but I know. When it came time to shut up or, you know, put up or shut up, he put up. He didn't shut up. 
Remember that? Cool, calm, and collected the entire time. Nope. I don't care what you say. Drag me. I don't give a shit. Close your church. No. But we're the government. But bugs and germs. No. The Eastern Orthodox Church. Let's talk about them for a second. What did they do? The Eastern Orthodox Church to halt services until end of March. Close the doors. People don't need God for the next month. According to the synodical statement of the Eastern Orthodox Church, this is what they said. Their hierarchs, their hierarchs, all of these bishops and you know whatever that they all got together and they're like, we're gonna all go pray on this and we're all gonna convene and you know communicate with one another and then we're gonna listen to what God has to tell us and then we're gonna go tell our flock that. And this is what the Eastern Orthodox Church did during COVID nineteen. The hierarchs unanimously, unanimously affirmed the hierarchs unanimously affirmed that the church not only permits vaccinations against diseases, polio, smallpox, but that she, the church, encourages her faithful after medical tests and approbations to be vaccinated with the approved vaccine SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19. The church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, also pushed back against attempts of the Greek Orthodox Christians to receive religious exemptions. But, but, but Bishop, this blood is pure because it was given to me by God Almighty and it's literally from the, you know, the blood of Christ in this sort of sense. No, you, you're going to have to pervert that. You're going to have to distort it. You're going to have to go, Religious... You can't receive religious exemptions from the vaccine, stating emphatically they did after they talked to God that there is no exemption in the Orthodox Church for her faithful from any vaccination for religious reasons, including the coronavirus vaccine. So they got together, the hierarchs unanimously affirmed and then told their their all of them, we're not even going to give you an exemption. You know what it was? It wasn't the Nicene Creed. They had a new Nicene Creed, but it wasn't the Nicene Creed. It was the Vaccine Creed. They got together and like, this is what God wants. Wait a second, though. But did you guys even look at anybody that was behind those companies at all? Were like, who was the CEOs of those companies? Like the Pfizer and the Johnson and Johnson and the Moderna and all that other stuff. Well, I can tell you this, and I'm going to say this too because I'm on YouTube. Let's just say they were verifiably antichrists like they would tell you that according to their religion you guys didn't even bother to look at that and then told your congregation because you went and prayed on it you had a hierarchy and got together and said this is what the church needs taint your blood you shall know them by their fruits now not to toot my own horn but toot toot what was going on with the COVID COVIDians of the 19s at this church? Well, we were writing notices of violations. I was, I was writing notices of violations and then handing them out and putting them on a PDF on my website that you could download for absolutely free. And I said, educating Hawaiian on the rights and laws in an effort to return to the aloha that we love. We sent out pamphlets, notices of violations. I went in and told my boss, you're not doing this shit to me. That's what I did. Then what else did we do? I was writing letters of exemptions. 
There it is. To whom it may concern, greetings and blessings. My name is Kevin Ryan Martin McNally, also known as Brother Marty Leeds. I'm a nine-time author on religion, religion and spiritual mysteries, a mystery school teacher, and an educator lecturing around the United States and Canada. I'm a preacher of Gnostic Christianity. I'm a licensed minister in good standing. Uh, my ministry academy has been public over a decade. I was writing exemption letters to pretty much anybody that has ever paid attention to this church or learned from me or bought a book, anybody that was that I associated with all, I said, this is illegal, this is, un but forget about the legal aspect, this is unlawful according to God's law. I'm going to stand against it with all of my might, all of my gusto and gumption, and anybody that needs any help at all, I'll be there for you. That's what, that's what happened in this church. What happened in the Orthodox Church? The vaccine creed. That's what happened. What happened at this church? Uh, I was I actually joined um, a lawsuit against Governor Ige, and I gave testimony for litigation against because of the fact that we ended up having to leave Hawaii because we're like, God, are we going to ever be able to see our parents again? That's what was going on in this church. Notice of violations, letters of exemption, inform doing interviews with people like Dr. Cowan and Dr. Kaufman, doing everything in my power to let people know that this is a propaganda and nonsense and completely antichrist. In fact, I remember I remember we did a whole video called Literally the Antichrist Agenda of COVID-19. Remember? I remember. I remember. I also remember this too. And I'm never going to fucking forget. Pardon my language. People died. Loads and loads and loads of people died because they went to the very people that were supposed to be representing Christ. And what did they represent? Draco himself. That's what happened. Just be honest with it. That's exactly what happened. So while all those churches across the board were listening to a serpent as it was slithering in its ear, we were saying, no, but you might get fired. I don't care. But you, I remember my boss came in and is like, hey, guess what? They're, they're leveling $5,000 fines for people that are going, that are in the business that are not wearing a mask. I said, you know what I said to them? You know what I said to my boss at the time? Quote, they can come and fucking find me then. Then I'll fight it. That's what I said. And then we also were saying that this is Antichrist according to the math, too. God, remember all those strains and all that? COVID-19. Didn't we just talk about 19? And about how it's referenced to the monad and all those things and the Kabbalistic tree of life and the, the, the parable of the sower and all of this straight as the gate. The whole thing was all a reference to 19. And then what happened? COVID-19, Delta-19, Omicron, all those variants, huh? We knew who was behind it. We'd been on that path. We'd been on the hero's journey. We went to the darkness. We saw the darkness, the devil, in his eyes. And then we left it and we're like, well, now we know how to, how to call it out. And so if this ever comes up, we can say, oh, well, these people that were behind this are verifiably antichrist. And not a church. None of these organized faiths, the Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Catholic, the Baptist, None of them could see it. But somehow they can see God? 
The devil showed up in spades. You couldn't even figure it out. But you have the way to salvation. You shall know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 17. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree? Why is all this trees? Well, now we're getting a parable of a tree. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. Okay, so obviously, what is this a reference to? Your actions, what do you do here? You will be judged by your actions, not what you say, but what you do. That's why I don't care about what any of these churches say. And I don't care about what Arthur Pulowski says. I care about what he did. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good tree. The corrupt tree and a good tree and a corrupt tree and every tree. You're all going to have to answer for what you do down here. And wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Where Are they actually bringing forth fruit? Why the tree? Why does this keep referencing a tree? Well, because we know... Just as we talked about when we did our monad in our cosmology. Let's go back up. We talked about our monad in our cosmology. In the center of that cosmology, mythically, is understood as a mountain or a tree. And sometimes there's a tree on the mountain. That is considered the cosmic tree, the world tree. Okay? We already talked about this. There's already a reference to this in this chapter. Then this is, um, this is the tree that keepeth the way of life. Genesis 2, and out of the, of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We also know that there's a tree of life in the midst, which means in the middle of the garden. What's in the middle of the garden? What's in the middle of our cosmology? That tree. So Jesus is going around being like, hey, every good tree and the corrupt tree and the good tree and the corrupt tree and then every tree, what is this tree mentioning? This is your tree reflecting what? The grander order. You are the tree of life. This is the axis mundi. In astronomy, axis mundi is the Latin term for the axis of the earth between the celestial poles. In a geocentric coordinate system, which is what we're in, it's flat. This is the axis of the rotation of the celestial sphere. So that center tree represents the tree within you. Okay? This is what, this man is the tree, in other words. That's your central nervous system. That's your, you know, your roots and the, the whole bit. Okay? And this is what it's mentioning. So around the world, there's trees. There's a world tree, a cosmic tree. Like you, you know, the Gnostic, the Manichaean, Man, Manichaeism, there's a tree of life. Of course, we got the Mayans. They have a tree of life. Of course, what is that on the side? I don't even know what that is. Um, Iran, I think. Um, a griffin there over from Assyria is depicted as nibbling on the sacred tree. It's a tree of life. The tree of life is seen in the flag of a Turkish state. Of course, we have the Norse. Um, they have their, you know, the Yagrasil, the tree of life. Uh, right there, there's the Christian tree of life. Let's keep going. Um, the Sanskrit is a wish-fulfilling divine tree in Indian religions. It's like the same tree in Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism, and Sikhism. In Greek mythology, Hera, um, there's, a, there's a dragon laden that guards the tree from all who would take the apples. Wait, so there's a big Draco serpent that's guarding a tree in the center of the creation? Uh, the ancient Egyptians, they had a tree of life, right? You can keep going. The Oneidas tell us that there's a tree, right? All this sort of Lakota, all over the world a tree. This is representing the Axis Mundi. 
the tree within you, reflective of the greater order, the tree that is in the center of our creation, mythically as it's as it's understood. And this is what he's saying. This is why he's saying, hey, are, is your tree actually fruiting? Because I can tell you, you know what the Catholic tree's doing? It's just, it's poisoned. You know what the Eastern Orthodox tree is doing? Not providing any fruit. They, were, they, were provi- they weren't even providing exemptions from the bad fruit. Think about that. So when Jesus is saying, ah, tree, you're a tree, you're a tree, you're, he's giving you a parable and he's relating you to a tree. Why? Because you're a reflection of the entire thing. You're a reflection of the whole order. That's you. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Matthew 7, 20, 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Talk your good game. Go ahead, talk. Go go in front of your congregation every Sunday and read your thing and act like you're, you've got the greater beam and blah, 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 blah. Talk, 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 talk. What did you do here? When it came time to actually show up, did you show up? You know what this church did? Show, pardon my language. Um, Jamie uh, Greeley, please cover your children's ears. Do you know what this church did? Show the fuck up. We did. We didn't say. We did. And so did Arthur Pulaski. Many people will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? We did all these things. We prophesied in your name and we did, you know, we would cast out devils in the name. You didn't feel it though. Once again, that's the internal, external. Oh, you claimed you're doing all these things, but really what did you have? The beam in your own eye. And then he's going to say, oh, you did all those things in vain, in other words. And then I'll profess to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, the work, that work, iniquity. You're not doing things genuinely. You're not doing things with your heart. Let's finish this baby off. Uh, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon rock. This one's pretty straightforward. I'm not going to you know, esoteric this thing out, if you will. Um, Pretty straightforward what Jesus is saying. You build your house on a firm foundation. That's it. You know, these churches aren't building their their house on a firm foundation. And it was proven to us a couple years back. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not it was founded upon a rock. What is the rock? Of course, it's the stone. It's Christ. We know this. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you, you know, your thoughts and your hermeneutics and your beliefs and your interpretation. What do you do? That is what shows the difference. Shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You hear the rhythm here? This is what gets missed. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. That's, that sounds like Shakespeare. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They're like, damn, this guy knows what he's talking about. Shit, bro. 
That's what they're saying. And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. His doctrine. His doctrine. His trine is an, is an astrology term. And that's an aspect of 120. It's 120 degrees. So 360 degrees of a circle, as we know, because we know the monad. Right? 360 degrees of a circle. We take a third of that. That's 120. Of course, a doctrine um, is to is to teach, instruct, that sort of thing. So Jesus is saying, oh, they, all these people were astonished at his doctrine, his three. His, his teaching of three. So saying, wait, what did we start this whole thing with? Let's go back. What did we start this whole thing with? Literally the first line. Where is it? This is literally the first line. And what does it tell you? The same thing. Three. One, two, three. Same thing. The doctrine of Jesus. Too many graphics. Too many graphics. And there's the doctrine of Jesus. It's actually mathematically encoded in his name, too. Lord has four letters. Jesus has five. And Christ has six. And four times five times six is 120. What's the number before four? It's three. So three times four times five times six is what? 360. So, um, and the properties of 120 sum to 360. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, 10, uh, 12, 15, 20, 24, 30, 40, 60, 120. Those are the properties of the number 120 and the sum of its divisors equal what? 360. Jesus is saying in this last line here, let's read it again, for he taught them as having one authority and not as the scribes, not as the people that scribble out, that look at the vain traditions of men. No, Jesus didn't, ta didn't teach that. He taught them as having one authority. And who is that authority? Well, we have to go to the word authority to understand what he is actually saying. Authoritative authority, this is the etymology, authoritative passage or statement, book or quotation that settles an argument passage from scripture. We all know what an authority is. It's a master or it's a leader. It's the person that is the authority. Authority, the root word of authority is author. And this is something I talk about all the time. Your actual authority is who authored you. That's your authority. So what happens down here, and this is all over the Bible, by the way, too. We know it with Jesus and the whole, his, uh, you know, resurrection and going to King Herod and Pontius Pilate and all that other stuff, right? What happens is governments come along and be like, I'm your authority. We're a cover, we're a, literally a corporation and we're going to say that we have jurisdiction over you, that sort of thing. And then people believe that. And those are like, well, no, actually what God is saying is that there's only one authority and that is who authored you. Just as when you're a child, right? If you're two, three years old, whatever, who's your authority at that point? Your parents, that's who is your authority because they're the ones that authored you with the grace of God, of course. So they're, they're your authority, besides God, until you're what? 17, 18 years old, essentially past puberty is when you're supposed to be ready to take on the world as you're responsible for yourself, okay? Then your parents no longer become your authority. And then who's your authority? The state of Canada, obviously. No, no, obviously, who's the authority? As Arthur Pulowski told us, God. Guess who won in court? Mr. Pulowski. Charges dropped. Stood his ground the whole time. Told Trudeau and all those guys, no. Why? 
because Arthur Pulowski understood, understood his authority. It's who authored him. That's God. Now, I've heard uh, Eastern Orthodox and like this kind of crowd basically being like, you know, because we, we say here then the church, or at this church, you know, we don't have any dogma, right? We don't have any church dogma. Church, Orthodox, you know, this sort of thing, like dogma from a church that says you need to do this. We have a dogma at this church. Just as it says here, uh, dogma is defined as a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. We have a dogma at this church, but our dogma lies in whose hands? Our actual authority. God, because it's he who authored us. What you have with most of these churches going to church dogma, Catholic dogma, Eastern Orthodox dogma, and then the trick will be like, oh, your dogma is not to have dogma. No, we have dogma. Absolutely. We at the Gnostic Church have dogma. It's a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority is incontrovertibly true. We just understand who that authority is. It's he who authored us, and that's God Almighty. And that's exactly, exactly what what Jesus is saying. For he taught them as having one authority, not as the church fathers, not as the people that, that are, that are, that are um, you know, the scribes that are scribbling down and saying, we've got the thing because we're writing it in the book and stuff. Who is your authority? That is God Almighty. To, to claim anything but is an argument from um, it's, a, it's an argument from authority. It's basically this idea that it's an appeal to authority. Well, everybody appeals to authority. God. Just as it says in the beginning of this thing, who's going to judge you? God. Why? Because he authored you. Any other people, anybody that actually appeals to anything else is committing one of the grandest logical fallacies you can possibly commit. And some people's entire worldview is based on this. Think about that shit. It's an appeal to authority. Everybody appeals to an authority, but all of you are appealing to church authority, church dogma. And what did that dogma at the church do? Especially when it comes to Eastern Orthodox. They got together and in like equanimical council and things like that and hierarchs preyed upon it and then told everybody, go get your jibbity jab. Middle of the Bible, Psalms 118.8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How many people that went to those churches put their confidence in man? Because they were scared. And what did the men do? They didn't, they didn't say, hey, guess what? You know what? This, you know, they didn't, they didn't appease them or try to calm their nerves and things like that. What did they say? Well, we got together and we've all agreed. It's time to taint the blood of Christ. Come on, sheep. Come on, flock. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Here's Mark and the Colossians. For laying aside the commandment of God, which is exactly what the churches are doing, ye hold the tradition of men, which is exactly what Jesus is saying not to do. Mark 7, 9, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition, you scribes, you Orthodox, you Catholics, uh, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered. The scribes, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. For he taught them as having one authority, the teachings of God, not as the scribes. 
the teachings of men. All right. That is going to do it for today. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. You guys are good As always, you guys are good. Go Bards. I really appreciate everybody that stops by on Sunday and, and, and joins us with this. It's a really, really special thing that we do here, and it's a really good group of people, and we really appreciate you guys, and we really appreciate everybody that does support what we do here. Um, you can become a Gubbard at Subscribestar. I think we have 31, which is the 11th prime. I think we have 31 good birds. We're trying to get to 50 good birds because that's a genuine, like a genuine flock of good birds. Um... You can become a Phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a Cygnus bird, or you can become Tom and the Pete, my bird. So if you do, if you do like uh, what we do here and you want to support uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, Cash App, and you can become once again and go buy that subscribe star. And we also do. If you'd like to send a note or donations, anything in the mail, we really appreciate that. Make checks payable to me. N one seven one seven eight Country Pride Drive, Pembine, Wisconsin five four one five six. Yes, that's Kevin McNally. And uh, this Friday, I'm doing the True Earth Equinox Summit, and that's at Thames.Live. You can get your tickets. I'm on March. I'm on Friday. I think it's 6 or 7 Pacific Standard Time, I want to say, is when I'm going on. A bunch of really great people. Brian from High Impact Blogs, Amanda Volmner. We got The Crumb there. We got Austin Witsit. We got Caleb and Derek from TikTok. What's up, guys? Uh, Mr. Ava, uh, Avocado Wolf, who is, you ever hear Ava, David Avocado Wolf speak? David Avocado Wolf, when he starts speaking, it's like a freaking fire hose. It's like you turn the fire hose on, it's like, and then all of a sudden you switch the fire hose off, and next thing you know, you're like, you're awash with wolfiness. So, Jaren's there, Crow777, Hibbler, Dave Murphy, lots of good people. So, if you guys do get a chance, please uh, go to Thames.Live. Friday, March 17th. It's going to be good. It's Friday and Saturday. A bunch of different speakers. So uh, I want to say thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey. Thank you so much. We're streaming to YouTube and Rockfin, as you guys know. And we're also on the Flat Earth Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. Yes, you should go. Get yourself this app. On that app, you can get the Sunday sermons. You can also learn about our flat stationary plane and all the good people that are on it. So please get a chance. If you get a chance, go and get that. Okay. That is going to do it for today. Jennifer, do you have any? I emailed you. You emailed? <laughs> Thank you to Cameron Keene, Construction Productions, Rachel Carpenter, Carrie Musgrave, Jared Poole, always just crushing it, Jamie Butler Greeley, Derek Holloway. Thank you so much, Mr. Holloway. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Jared Poole, too, um, for uh, just always being around. It's, really, it's just really great. Jam Grassi, Daniel Hager, Lindsay Chapman. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Love you. Um, Javier, Javier, brother, let's get some tacos. Ten bucks. Um, subscribe stars. Thank you, Samurai, Deadpool, Adam H., Harvey Brown, Paige. Love you, Paige. Sage Bear, Daniel Petrillo, Shannon Seal, Jen Bru, the pious. The Ancient Order, Jamie Diana. Interesting. Thank you so much. Cynthia Ho uh, Hotsman, I think is how you say that. Bobby96. What's up, my brother? Jared Poole, once again. Anders Olberg. Javier. Anderson A. Cat. Thank you so much. Angie A. Tipped $5. Good morning on Rockfin. Greg Arcade, $10. Pass the basket. Thank you, Marty. Greg Arcade. He's got a new record coming out. He's working on it right now. It's going to be a banger. In fact, I'll probably play one of his new tunes next live stream i was going to do it with this one but because of the topic that we're talking i'm going to play a different song but we'll be listening to some mr arcade so thank you mr arcade go check him out gregarcade.com eric c love you brother thank you so much for your help by the way um 
I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. So thank you so much. Fed Up Gear, thank you so much. Kitty Cat, praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Kitty Cat. B Mustard, what's up, Mustard? What's up, my brother? Infinite blessings from my dot within my circle to yours. Andrew Masonette, great as always. Thank you, Mr. Masonette. Always good to see you. Patriot Astrologer, $9.99. Lots of pearls today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Carrie Musgrave, 20. Thank you so much. Alicia Crawford, always killing it. Auntie Jake, God bless you, Auntie Jake. Speaking of tacos. <laughs> Toof Sika, my brother. Love you, brother. That Love you so much. Seriously, thank you. Uh, Virginia Murray, just uh, thank you for always being here. I really appreciate it. Jared Poole for Gnosis. You are the man, Jared Poole. Thank you so much. Jared Poole has saved us several weeks, just so you guys know. Small Axe bought four co copies. It's good to see you here, Small Axe. Where you been the last couple live streams? I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to start berating people that don't show up. We're going to call them, be like, what's up, dude? <laughs> no, just kidding. Come and go as you please. We're always here. <laughs> just kidding. Love you, brother. Seriously. Uh, Christiane Gamble, $10. Blessings to you, my brother. And then someone bought two copies. I uh, don't know who that is, but Earth is flat. That's true. God is love. That's true. Love and gratitude for all you do. Thank you. Okay. That's going to do it. Guys, thank you so much. Um, thank you all for being here today. Oh, we're going to keep this under two hours. I've been, I've been, I've been keeping it under two hours. And if you get a chance, I do, I am doing, uh, Tuesdays with Marty, and then um, I think I'm going to do it in the evening, though, because I think it's probably better time for most people. So, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you guys like that, that would be cool, because I know you know people are working and you know that sort of thing. So I think I might continue to do that, and yeah, that's going to do it. So next week, um, um, next week, <clears throat> say, yeah, just. Just, uh, let's just kick that guy out of here. That's cool. Um, uh, next week, that's right. We're going to do uh, Matthew 8. We'll get into Matthew 8. And then from there, I think we're going to do compasses and square. We're going to do a couple of the things that I've got on my mind. Um, so, yeah. But I think next week we'll do Matthew 8 because I like to do a couple of these and then, you know, do something else just to keep it real. Uh, like I was saying, Tuesdays with Marty, I think we're going to do that at night. And we'll see if we'll keep that going. I don't know. Um, well, I guess we'll see. People seem to enjoy it somewhat. So that's cool. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for me. Thank you all for being here today. Um, Whiskey, Peggy Johnson, Eric C., Thunder Chicken, Roddy Sue, so great to see all you lovely people. It's so great to see the same people uh, again and again. We'd like to get this growing, but um, much love and appreciation for all you have done and do. Perspective 96, it's my job. It's, I, I got to do it. I got to do it. There's, I, otherwise, God's going to get real mad at me. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, brother? So, and you got to do it too. Bobby 96, I'm talking to you directly right now. You know what you got to do, brother. You know it. So, and you're doing it. Okay. Guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of you. And um, well, let me say this. We do have four signed uh, hardcover books now for sale. If you're interested in that, all hardcovers, we sign those and ship those out. We do have Marty Leeds Archives. That's really helping us out. That's the entire, that's like all the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, the, the all the records, all the books, PDFs of the books, all the extra videos, like all the archives. I mean, it is a, it is a life, I mean, it's like 270 bucks, which is, you know, some people think it's cheap. Some think people think it's expensive, whatever. But it's a lifetime's worth of knowledge is what it is that you're getting for $270 shipped to your door. I also have um, records for sale as well. So, okay, that's going to do it. Um, guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen.
Okay, that's going to do it. I will see you guys next week or ne or Tuesday, hopefully, if you're there. There's 132 watching right now. 132 divided by 42 is 3.142. Okay, um, that's going to do it. This is a song called The Narrow Way off a record that I wrote called Open... No, Logos is... Logos Rising. I think that's what the record is called. I don't even know my own records. So this is a song from that, and it's called The Narrow Way, and it's about exactly what we talked about today in song form, okay? That's going to do it. Guys, I will see you hopefully Tuesday, if not next Sunday. Stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org and get some goodies. All right, that's going to do it. Guys, thank you so much for spending your Sunday with us. We really appreciate it. We love you all very much, okay? Let's rock and roll. As always, many blessings and much love to all.